0: Last week, we talked about the dark side of organizational family, and this week, we're talking about future-proofing your organization. After decades of nonprofit leadership impacting thousands, we hit a wall. We started asking ourselves, how can we go beyond our personal success and leave a legacy that lasts far beyond our lifetimes? A job
1: change in multiple conversations with stressed out nonprofit leaders later, our desire to help nonprofits grow in a healthy and sustainable way was bigger than ever.
0: If you're a leader at the top or in the middle of a volunteer and donor-based organization, this podcast is for you. We believe that a better
1: world needs healthier nonprofits, and it's our passion to help you fulfill your organization's mission while helping you live a fulfilled life.
0: I'm Ted. And I'm Lisa. Welcome to the Legacy Builders Movement. Regardless of how much we wish we could tell the future and know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow or in a week or in a month or in a year or in 10 years with our organization, we just don't know. And if we're always playing reactive, reactively to stuff that's coming down the pipe for our organization new hires, somebody needs to, you know, move away. So we need to replace a staff member or um, a volunteer, like a volunteer leader that just can't make the time anymore to do what they were doing or whatever it might be, right? There are things that happen that you just cannot account for. And so future proofing becomes an extremely important piece of running an organization, especially a nonprofit organization. You got a lot of moving parts. You got Donors like your your budget is determined by things that are hard to future proof your resources when it comes to people and man hours is determined by a lot of things that are hard to future proof. So we figured, hey, this is a really good topic for the podcast this week is thinking about how to future proof, not just not just plan for the future and not just make your organization strong. But how do you future proof?
1: Yeah, and I think this is an issue with nonprofits, particularly because so much of it is relationship-based. Uh, when you're running a volunteer-based organization, a donor-based organization, um, when it's not simply staff—not that there's not relationship with staff—it's just it's a different dynamic. Um, and grant funding is just simply different than the individual donors and those contributions. When you're running an organization with that, I think part of the reason people don't future-proof or look ahead in that capacity is because we all want to believe in some capacity that if I work hard today and I get things to a point where it's healthy, then things will just stay like that. Like, it's just going to work. And we want to assume that the people who are serving with us, who are leading with us, who are donating, that the people that we're investing in today are going to be with us from this day forever Mm -hmm. and it is so difficult as a leader to look at a team and say i know over the upcoming years a certain percentage of you are going to leave like Mm -hmm. i know that you as individuals are more often than not not forever people with me with my team with my organization um with whatever that might be And that's very difficult. It is incredibly hard when we have someone who has been a consistent volunteer or a consistent donor leave for any reason, regardless of how logical it is, regardless of how much we actually do understand. It's difficult, and in order to future-proof, we have to recognize that not only has that happened in the past, but it will happen again in the future. And I know for myself, I would rather just bury my head in the sand and say, no, (laughs) the people I'm investing in are going to be in it with me until the day we die. Um, But the reality is, is I have to acknowledge that it's just not the case. And if I operate that way, I'm setting up my organization as a whole, or I'm setting up the team that I'm in charge of um, for a crash and burn failure when life inevitably happens, and something has to change. Because listen, you could be the perfect the perfect, the pinnacle nonprofit leader, and people will still need to leave your team at some point.
0: Yeah, there there are a million different reasons people leave. It's not like just be only when they're angry at your organization do they stop donating or do they stop. Like people can go through, you know, they can lose their job and they were donating $100 a month. And guess what? Now they, they lost their job. They got laid off or whatever it is. They can't do that anymore. It's that kind of stuff happens all the time or you know if they're a volunteer situation the same exact scenario could be playing out in a volunteer situation where you had a volunteer who had a job that allowed them to serve on the weekends and they could be there for 15 hours every weekend they loved it and it was great and so you heavily relied on them they lose their job they have to get a new job the new job is in retail and now they have to work all weekend
1: even like it could be something good that happens someone that is serving with you has a kid (laughs) And suddenly everything in their own personal lives is suddenly up in the air and there's the newborn chaos and that person becomes less available um, for whether it be a season of a few months or it creates like a long term change for them. Mm -hmm. Um, It could be that someone retires and maybe they move out of state and your organization, maybe you offer some stuff that people can do online online. But maybe that person is really looking, they were part of your organization for the community. And so where they're moving to, they're looking to get involved in an organization where they can meet more people in that actual community. Like sometimes it can be like there are so many different things that happen in life. And we have to know that it is simply a part of the process. It's not that the process is broken. It's not that there's something wrong. It's that we need to know as leaders, it is what it is.
0: And it's weird, like in the in the business sector, that's expected all the time. It's like, this is just how it works. People will have a job with us for a while. We're going to invest in them. Hopefully, we'll be able to turn a profit in training them. It's going to cost a little extra, but over time, like they're going to produce enough for our business that we're going to come out ahead. And businesses just take this into account. They know they're going to lose people to attrition. They're going to move. Life circumstances are going to change. You know, unfortunately, people die. Like things like this just happen. It's the world we live in. And in the nonprofit world, it's a little more relational. So I think a lot of what happens is people don't want to think about the relational impact it's going to have to have someone say, Hey, I can't donate anymore. Like that's going to be like, Oh, where it's like if you have an employee in a big company and they're like, Hey, I'm not going to work here anymore. Okay, cool. We'll hire somebody else. (laughs) In a nonprofit, it's like, Oh, They're not going to donate anymore or, oh, they're not going to serve with me anymore or, oh, they're 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 moving away. It's like a a piece of your heart is kind of going with these people, too, especially if you're incorporating care and trying to be like a team together, not just people who are showing up and getting a paycheck, but they're actually trying to accomplish something together. There's another piece of it, and so I think the tendency is uh, nonprofit leaders is to kind of, like you said, bury your head in the sand a little bit and say, it's not happening, it's not happening, it's not happening. We'll just focus on being successful today, and maybe if we work hard enough today, we'll have time tomorrow to future-proof.
1: Because either you're going to actually grow enough today and be at a spot where your organization's really healthy, and then you're probably gonna, like if you're like most leaders, you're going to start kind of looking at where expansion can happen or bumping up certain programs or something like that. Um, otherwise you're going to be in a spot where maybe, you know, you get to spot where it is today, but over the next week or two or a month or whatever it might be, you might start losing people to that natural attrition to that natural life happens. And Mm -hmm. so people move on. Um, I know for myself, we've talked about different various points of leadership, and one thing that I have had to work through is recognizing that people will leave, and instead of uh, putting my blinders on and completely ignoring it, being willing to say, "Um, you know what, I am willing to step into this leadership role understanding that I am going to experience loss Mm. because of the role. And not seeing that necessarily as a highly negative thing. Like, I don't look at it and I'm like, yay, it's going to hurt. Um, but recognizing fully to engage and put my heart fully into it and to care about people. Um, if I'm feeling loss and not processing the loss and then not planning ahead, understanding that that's a part of it, I'm going to invest in people in a way that's going to make it so that eventually when they move on, I'm going to take it as a personal attack that's -hmm. going to make it hard to maintain that relationship versus if I have a fantastic volunteer leader who's on my team and I can look at them and say, I am highly reliant on you today. I am super grateful for you, but I'm going to future proof the team um, so that it can work apart from you while still valuing you. And understanding that some point, something might change in your life where you are no longer here, but I have planned for that, and I am okay with that, and you know that I have planned accordingly, so you're not carrying all the pressure of mm-hmm. this team will crumble without me, because that's a lot of pressure to put on our volunteers. If that all happens and something changes, not only are we able to better maintain the relationship or at least have a higher chance of doing it if they were to need to leave – but they're also much more likely to come back if and when life allows for it. Mm -hmm. Um, But when we put all of the pressure on and then make it extremely difficult for people to move on because we have not future proofed. And so we use uh, low emotions like guilt. um, I'm just going to ignore the situation. When you talk to me, I'm not really going to listen and respond Uh, when we respond like that. It, it impacts so many aspects of the organization. And so future-proofing is absolutely vital. Like we have to do it. We have to be looking ahead and not future-proofing once the team is healthy, but future-proofing what you have today. You might be living in chaos, but y'all, it can get worse. So like (laughs) you have to start future-proofing like right now in this moment, not for the sake of your leadership, but for the sake of your organization for the sake of it lasting and having longevity so that the cause that you care about actually has longevity too, because most causes that nonprofits are helping if an organization does something for two years and then falls off, um, a lot of times the causes also need the longevity in order for change to be seen.
0: So one of the ways that I've seen organizations do a really great job of future proofing is they diversify. Mm-hmm. Like they diversify and, um, when it comes to donations, this might look like instead of seeking out a donor that's gonna give a thousand dollars a month, that's just one donor that is like that is a fail point that could happen, right? Like something could happen to that donor that they're not going to be able to give a thousand dollars a month, and now you're out a thousand dollars a month with just one thing that happened. Yeah, rather, they say, hey, <laughs> we're gonna find you know five hundred people who are going to give $2 a month.
1: Yeah. Then you you need
0: a whole bunch of, like you need a really crazy series of events to knock that out.
1: Yeah. If you have one donor who's giving a substantial portion of your budget, that is a fail point that you need to start future proofing against. Finding Mm -hmm. other donors giving smaller consistent amounts who can make up for that large one. Because if something happens... Like, just think through your budget. How much of your budget is coming in from that one, your one main person? You know who that person is.
0: Or that one grant or that one. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Whatever it might be. How much of your budget is coming in from that? And if life happens and that one person has to make a change, what is the ripple effect of that on your organization? Like, we need to be very, very careful that we don't have, you know, we can't assume that that person will forever and ever and ever do it. They might have given every single month for the last fifteen years. You mm-hmm. are still not guaranteed that thirty days from now, right? And so thinking about that, but then also looking at in your organization your volunteers, mm-hmm. who is who is like the one or two or three volunteers that by far, um, just like a donor might give like the highest percentage out of anyone in your budget, who's bringing the highest percentage of leadership. To your organization, the highest amount of volunteers, the highest amount of all that other
0: stuff. Right. Or, or just like I've seen this happen a lot. Uh, a, a team uh, in a in a nonprofit will have one volunteer who can serve like 20 hours a week. And so it kind of creates a complacency with the leaders and saying, you know what, we don't need 10 volunteers. We have one volunteer that does 10 volunteers job and they love it. Why would I steal them, you know, steal the opportunity from them? to be in here and instead of hedging against that and saying hey let's make sure we're finding a way like let's find a way for this person to still volunteer as much as they want to yeah but let's not rely on that because one like a death in the family hey I gotta move hey I need to get a different job I'm I have, I'm having a kid like any of those things or you know they get upset they don't like being at your organization <laughs> any of those things happen now you have zero when you could have had ten
1: Mm-hmm.
0: and like I think what happens too is we've all heard that principle that 80% of the results come from 20% of the resources mm-hmm. where that's you know donors or volunteers or people sharing their networks with you I think the real challenge of future proofing is saying is recognizing because at any given time yes 80% of the stuff is going to be being done by 20% so it's fighting that constantly mm-hmm. and saying okay how can I get 80% of the results to be being done by 30% yeah. how can i be getting and like just trying to grow that grow and having people in line to kind of fill some of those voids when they inevitably come
1: yeah because i mean just think about it. if you have a volunteer of two people or a volunteer team and you have two consistent people on your team and one of them's doing let's say they're both doing like 10 hours a week if one of them leaves you're up a crick because now you're having to fill 10 hours extra of your own time doing that and you're having to train up another person and you're having to like do all these different things and maybe the other person for a season can take on some of the work but they can't take on 10 more hours every week of work. And so that is a huge void in a vacuum. Now, if you have 10 volunteers on a team and each of them are doing 2 hours of work a week. So 20 hours, same 20 hours, um they've each been trained to do their own little 2 hours so they don't know as much individually, um but as a whole they're doing 20 hours a week. If one of them ends up having something happen in life, chances are between the other nine volunteers, you can get those two hours picked up for the short term while you train a position that's a lot easier to train. Training mm-hmm. someone for something that's going to take two hours is just simply going to take less time than training someone who's likely doing 10 hours of stuff. Because 10 hours of stuff in most organizations is multiple roles. Mm-hmm. Not always, but it, but generally, Now, even if you have two or even three volunteers who all have something happen in the same week and can't be there, you're still only looking at having to pick up or adjust for six hours a week instead of 10 and getting more people into volunteer, even replacing those people, getting someone to volunteer and say, hey, would you be willing to come in and volunteer two hours a week or two hours every other week or two hours a month? Way easier than trying to find another person who is willing to volunteer for 10 hours Um, and I think sometimes we look at those people who just do so much and we're like, we are going to celebrate you. You are just doing great. You are the story we talk about. You are just the greatest thing ever. And we (laughs) hope that celebrating them publicly will help keep them vested in the organization. But the fact of the matter is like, we have to be looking for those people who are willing to invest an hour here, two hours there, $10 here, $20 there. Those are the people who are going to make it so that our organization has fewer of the really high highs and the really low lows like they like the small donations and the people like the large amount of people doing a small amount of work are the people who add consistency to your organization so that when one person has to take a step back, you don't feel it as much. It's not like being on the roller coaster and suddenly you're like, "Oh, I guess we're going down now."
0: <laughs> like, right?
1: Like it just it's not as it's just not as intense. It's not as drastic. It's not as crazy, and it doesn't add as much chaos to your life as a leader. Right. Um, which really future proofing a lot of it comes down to doing it so that you can stay doing the work long term. Um, because too many of those crazy highs and crazy lows gets to be too much for leaders. And eventually it's just, I, I can't handle another season of this.
0: Yeah. And it's then you're looking at much. having to figure out a way to future proof your role then yeah. too, which I mean, we should all be doing as organizational leaders. You should always be thinking like, Hey, who are the people who are going to potentially take over when I inevitably, you know, even, if, even if you are like, I will be here for my entire mm. life maximum that's 115 years if you started when you were like five years old okay so (laughs) (laughs) um you gotta be thinking about how do i future-proof this because none of us is guaranteed tomorrow Mm -hmm. and if you care about your cause which as a leader of your organization i I hope you are you need to be thinking about how do i future-proof even my role or like board members how do i future-proof board member roles because they're going to come and go too And I mean, they they, they tend to be a little more long term board member roles tend to people tend to hold on to those and stick around for a long time. But, you know, things still happen. People need to step out for whatever reason. The health issues, things happen.
1: How do I future future proof staff positions? One thing that we see a lot when working with nonprofits is there has not been a plan for when a staff member leaves. Um, And so staff members hold so much information in their head, and a lot of time it isn't properly documented. And so we'll have people who leave go through two weeks' notice. Sometimes they'll give even longer notice because they're like, I care about the cause. I want to give proper training time. Um, We were talking to someone not too long ago who had stepped out of a role, um, gave, I think it was like three weeks' notice, gave a little bit extra so that they could not only hire but then have extra training time. And then, like, two weeks after she was done, she was getting calls from the nonprofit asking, like, how do you get into the system? How do you do this thing? How do you whatever? And she was like, I don't work there anymore. Like, I can't come in every week to train your new staff person.
0: It's super unprofessional as a nonprofit <clears throat> oh, yeah, for your staff members. Like, if you hire someone, you say, like, here's the contract. You do this. We pay you this. And then as soon as they're done working there, you start to reach out to them to ask them to, like, chip in more. back in it's like it's just highly unprofessional if if that happened in the business world you would like people would like swear at you like it's Mm -hmm. uh, so it don't assume that because you have some people who have agreed to volunteer that your past staff members are are indebted to you to volunteer (laughs) now like they're done being staff members right the contract is done
1: so you need to have have,
0: if you want them to volunteer you need to earn that with them,
1: They left your staff for a reason. Yep. They may or may not be willing to volunteer their time, but mm-hmm. that's why a transition period is there. But it's part of future proofing. Like you need to know if this person were to have something tragic happen to them tomorrow and they were like, hey, I'm really sorry. I would love to give notice, but something has happened and I have to get out of state to go take care of some family stuff. And I'm going to be out of cell phone range for the next month. Like, do you know what your staff members do? Do you have a system set up? Do they have systems set up? Do you have a place that you can go and find what they do every day and what gets checked and what gets done and how things happen? Like,
0: passwords to accounts that, you know, mm. maybe that they manage for, you know, various services yeah. that your your company uses.
1: Or like, like <laughs> how do they have the CRM organized? How do they have all of your donor lists organized so that when it's time to send them each like the monthly mailer? Do you know, not do you know how they do it, but do you know where to find the document that lists how they do it? Um, This isn't just about assuming that they're going to leave, but I mean, we're looking at um, efficiency and training the next staff member if that staff member is going to bring in a volunteer to handle it, that document is all of the training. Like if they can write down what they do and systemize it, they can get a volunteer to do it.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, it's Or at least part of it.
1: <clears throat> at least part of it. Yeah. So, I mean, like we have to be thinking through that for every single role within whatever organization that we are leading. Otherwise, we are setting ourselves up to like – Every time someone leaves to go through this complete panic mode Mm -hmm. and then chaos and then the training process takes way longer because instead of the person just being able to be trained, they have to go through and find all of the information somewhere. I think big corporations do this really well. They understand like the lowest level employees, the beginning managing level employees, upper management employees, and then positions above there. They understand that certain people at this level and at this level aren't going to have longevity with their companies, Mm -hmm. and so they have everything systemized. So the training process is quick, the tasks are simple, and there's just a plan in place. So that if someone needs to move on, they can get someone else in there and not spend two, three, four, five, six months training a position. Um, And I know that in our nonprofits, we don't want to have that much turnover, (laughs) but... We need to be thinking ahead. If this person were to go.
0: If you were set up to be able to do that, though, think of how much better it would be when turnover does eventually happen. Mm -hmm. No organization, no matter how amazing it is, has a 0% turnover. You're going to have some turnover. And if you're systemized well, when we talk about this, is like one of the points on our legacy flywheel is systems. If you're systemized well, that new employee or that new volunteer that's being trained is going to see that and the trust level (laughs) For your organization is going to go through sky the roof because they're going to say like, wow, this organization really has their stuff together. I'm so glad I'm part of this rather than their first week at the job being like, this is it's such terrible. a mess. And like <laughs> that is a super common thing that we see
1: in nonprofits, in nonprofits
0: oh uh, when we're working with nonprofits, when we're talking with people who work at nonprofits, when we're looking at, you know, like even just posts online. Yeah. The disorganization and the messiness of nonprofits. It's like it's just it's I I sound really mad right now. And it's because I kind of am a little bit just the fact that so many nonprofits are operating so unprofessionally. Yeah, it makes me kind of mad. Like we have one of the most important jobs in the world is to make the world better, not just make a profit. Mm -hmm. And we're treating it like garbage. Like, let's step up and say, hey, we should be the most professional organizations on the planet and the ones who are just in it for the profits, they can be a little messy. Yeah. But like helping people on the other side of the planet, like that should be, that should be a little bit better run. I would say, because I think, it, so. I think it's more important. Uh, Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm stepping down from the soapbox. I don't think you are. No, I think I'm you're going to hop right back up. On it soon. I'm just temporarily stepping down from the soapbox.
1: I was talking to um <laughs> a woman maybe in the last year or so, and she had been a part of an organization for years. Like there was a nonprofit that she supported. She volunteered almost weekly um, and then gave consistently. And she was talking to me about nonprofit leadership staff. And she's like, I think I need to be done. I think I'm going to quit volunteering and quit giving. And I was like, for as long as I've known you, you have done this consistently with a good attitude. You speak well of it. What happened? And she said that she got into a slightly different position of leadership in the nonprofit. And she said, I saw how the sausage was made and I saw the chaos behind the scenes and I no longer want to be part of this. Yeah. And it didn't take long. It was like less than 30 days. It went from like 10 years of being a part of something to seeing behind the scenes for 30 days. And she was ready to be done with all of it. And it was really interesting talking to her because it wasn't like the nonprofit did anything wrong in particular. It wasn't like she got behind the scenes and she's like, there's a mismanagement of funds or people are mean or they say this, but they're doing it wasn't that. It was simply that she saw the chaos, and the chaos made her say, I can't trust this. But this Mm -hmm. woman has a professional background. And in her mind, chaos and disorder is not. Like, that is not what you get behind. It's not acceptable. And once she actually saw that side of it, it completely changed the way that she viewed that nonprofit and how she's looking at future nonprofits going forward. Because she's Mm. like... No, I've I've lived in the professional world for so long. I've spent my time volunteering because I want to give back. And no, no. If I saw a company like this, I would never work for the company. Um, and that's something that people are looking for. And part of that is, I don't know how I got on this, but I mean, come on. <laughs> we we, we got to be better than those guys. It makes me
0: think about what we had for lunch today. We went to this really great restaurant called Portillo's. I don't know if it's like a giant franchise that's all over the place, but it's like... They, they they just have really, really good like Italian sausage and hot dogs and I don't know. It's just it's an awesome It's like place. hot
1: dogs and burgers and they're fantastic. Super good.
0: Anyway, I'm getting there and and you kinda had walked ahead after we ordered and I was just kind of like looking at the kitchen because they have the 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 kitchen where you can just see in. You can see everything. Everything's open, you can see all the different employees working in there, you can see the deli line and and all this stuff. And I was just kind of taking it in and just appreciating how clean it was and how organized it was and how you know the the employees were actually interacting in a way that was like hey this is a pleasant atmosphere and you know it's it's one thing to see how the sausage is made because it's all been hidden behind this secret wall and you get there and you realize this is like Like, mcdonald's where they don't show you the kitchen i've been
1: eating this (laughs) no
0: Um, (laughs) right versus a place like this where it's like you see it all and it's like Oh, all that food, all like even the the raw ingredients look great. You know, even even the chili for the chili cheese dogs, which I mean, chili can be a messy situation. Like it was nice. It was clean. It was organized. And I was just I'm thinking about that now you talking about it and just how nonprofits need to think of themselves like a restaurant where the kitchen is visible Mm -hmm. because eventually people will see inside whether you want them to or not, but if you treat it like a kitchen where people can actually see in and you ensure that things are actually working in a way that if somebody saw into the kitchen, they would not, you would not be embarrassed. I think a lot of nonprofits would be future proofing themselves Mm -hmm. better just because they're thinking about the fact that people are looking in, they're seeing how things are running in here. They see that our volunteer teams are like they have, we have full rotations of volunteers that are a few deep so we have lots of backup people who want to serve more can but people who can't serve more are not being constantly asked to yeah people who uh are wanting to get involved are not falling through the cracks we have great leadership that is training and systemizing themselves so that way they can be duplicated in the future and they're in the process of already training up people for if the worst thing wants to happen if tomorrow i got hit by a bus there's somebody who is ready to take over the mantle and say, I care about this organization. I care about what we're doing and I already know how to do it
1: mm-hmm. there. Um, it's interesting. We've started attending a new church in the last year or so. And this last weekend they were talking about some of their volunteer systems. I mean, not really. They weren't. That's what they were talking about, but they weren't using that language, obviously. Um, but <laughs> they it was, were using
0: <laughs> proprietary Legacy
1: builders. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, they were talking about how they need some more volunteers for some of their volunteer teams. But they they were like, here's what we're looking for. And they said a couple key things that sounded very common. Um, But when I was listening, I'm like, this is impressive. Um, But they were just like, yeah, we're looking here. But if that's not the right fit for you, like, we will find a place for you within the organization um, when they had a leader step down in a the team they had that leader replaced within like a matter of weeks like like fully trained it was super well mm-hmm. because they already had people on deck in case something needed to change um with their volunteer teams like you can text in you get a phone call figure out which areas you're interested in you do a shadow day before you ever volunteer
0: which is super smart by the way mm-hmm. those work really really well
1: because then they get to come in see what the work actually is before you commit to volunteering and then their first commitment, if you say you want to do it is a three month commitment. That's it. That's it. It's a 90 day commitment. And then after Smart. the 90 day commitment, then you can grow it out from there. Well, as someone who has sat through many, a church service at many different churches and like just seen, because we like to ten different places and whatever, and just take it in and just take it in. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen this done so many times and I just appreciated the lack of desperation, the amount of, like, calm and peace being spoken with it. I'm assuming that there
0: wasn't a lot of guilt with it. Oh, no. Knowing knowing this church. Yeah. Yeah.
1: There was no guilt with it. And all of this was happening in a season where they actually needed more volunteers. Just because they needed more didn't mean that they were being heavy handed because they knew that their system allowed for the problem to be fixed in a very short amount of time. And this is something that we need to be thinking of as nonprofit leaders of if we have a leader who leaves, who do we have that's already on deck to take over that position if it were needed? Who do we already have that's mostly trained in that position that could get that little last bit of training in a very simple way if it were needed? Yes, we hope it's never needed. But at the end of the day, who do you have lined up already So that when you're going out into your community or emailing your donors or talking to your volunteers and you're saying, hey, you know what? We need some additional help. Who do you know? You are able to still maintain the baseline of we are not stressed. We are doing fine. The organization's going to be great. And even if your friend can't help in the area that we need it, we are willing to prioritize their needs over our needs. Yeah. Like if we can get to a spot with our organizations where that is how we are communicating with both our volunteers and our donors, it's going to be so much better received because I was listening and part of me was like, I could help with kids, except I hate working with kids. Like it was just funny, <laughs> but the way that they were talking about it, it was just so matter of fact that it was like, it it, it gave comfort and calm, even yep. though it's a volunteer, like I personally, me. Mm,
0: And I would say I would say to be careful that you're not just putting the stamp of this is a guilt free ask or putting the stamp of will be okay if you can't serve. Like there's a difference between saying it and it actually being true because you can say like, hey, there's no guilt if you can't if you can't help out. Whatever you say after that is actually the truth, right? (laughs) because <laughs> you could say, there's no guilt if you can't help out. But if you can't, just know that we're going to be under, you know, understaffed for a while. Like That's guilt. That's guilt. You just said there's no but guilt, but you lied. Um,
1: there's no guilt <laughs> if you can't help out. Um, and, and if this area is not for you, we have other areas if you're interested. Yeah. That's way different. Like Yeah,
0: that's actually a like, non-guilt offer. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just really important that when we're thinking future-proofing, We're not just thinking about like duplication or growing. Right. Because so much of nonprofit organizations that have a growth mindset are thinking, how do we expand? How do we grow for like another franchise or branch out into another city or another state? And um, future proofing is about saying, how do we remain strong in the light of uncertain future outcomes?
1: Yeah. Rather than trying to grow tall, like how do we grow deep?
0: Right. And- I think about the game of Risk. Like in the beginning of Risk, you get a bunch of countries and you get a bunch of little guys, <gasps> little army guys. I'm place so bad all at this place.
1: game, so teach me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you can stack all your guys or you can spread them all out and each of your countries only has two little guys on it, two little armies. Yeah. And if you are not careful, you're going to spread way thin because you have an expansion mindset rather than a strength mindset. And it's important to balance those two and think what's going to actually give us future proofing. If we're going to expand, we need to expand in a way that doesn't weaken us. Mm -hmm. So now we're just like a balloon that could be popped with the slightest, like pinprick. We want to be like, like a basketball that takes, you know, we can expand, but also like we've got some girth to us.
1: Yeah. One of my friends was talking about, Um, organizations who expand really, really quickly. And she said, sometimes it can feel like, um, and this can be expanding different locations, different city states, or it can just be expanding like who you're trying to help or the number of days that you offer help to the people that you're looking to work with. So expansion can mean many things. But she said, with nonprofits, expansion too quickly looks like um, building a tree fort in trees that aren't old enough to hold a tree fort. You might be able to, like, get a tree fort technically on there, and you might be able to say, we have 20 tree forts, but at any point in time, the wrong wind is going to break the tree. At any point in time, like, it's just, it's not strong enough. So it's strong enough to, like, barely hold it. And because it's barely holding it, you can technically say that you're doing it. But that doesn't mean that there is the strength Um, underneath it to actually hold up everything in place and so it doesn't even need a storm it doesn't need a tornado it needs the wrong wind on the wrong day or a little bit of rain that freezes into ice and adds too much weight to the trees it doesn't need a lot but the wrong thing can knock out a large percentage of what you're doing in a very short amount of time Mm. And so we need to be looking at not just how can we build more tree forts, how can we expand and do the next thing, but how can we ensure that what we are building on is stable and strong, that it can withstand what life will throw at it over time so that our integrity remains intact for the future. Because nonprofits that crumble when situations happen More often than not, the thing that is pointed at as the cause, even if it's not the cause, but the thing that's pointed at as the cause is the leader's lack of honesty and the leader's lack of transparency. Hmm. If I knew what was happening behind the scenes, I wouldn't have given. If I knew what was happening behind the scenes, I wouldn't have volunteered. If I knew what was happening behind the scenes, maybe someone could have fixed it. Maybe something could have happened. And it's almost always correlated with either the main leader or a leader within the organization and a lack of integrity, even if it wasn't a lack of integrity as much as it was just a lack of...
0: Future-proofing. Future-proofing. And, yeah, and a light breeze. And a light breeze. Like this finally was the last thing that just broke the camel's back. hmm Wow. So our question for viewers today is, how are you future-proofing your organization? What are you thinking about to make sure that should a random event, whether it's big or small, come around, which they inevitably will, what have you got in place to make sure that your organization is protected from that? Volunteers uh, leaving, staff members, board members, um, donors?
1: Yep. And if you're looking at it going like, um, my answer to that question is nothing, <laughs> then we encourage you to look at your top donors and volunteers, the ones who are doing the, the most. most. The most, and kind of start seeing how you can start to future-proof their positions in particular, um, because we want to see you succeed long-term.
0: We always love hearing from you guys. If you got questions for us, or just like this has sparked an interesting story you'd love to share with us, we would love to hear from you. You can go ahead and send us, send us an email at Office at INTL dot com.